Thank you, Sharon. What a way to start the morning service with joy and song before the Lord. Welcome to those here and listening on the radio. What a beautiful fall morning we have. Today is All Saints Sunday, and we give thanks for the lives of those who have gone before us, especially those listed in bulletin today. You may have other loved ones who you treasure in your heart this day and remember. As the names are read and the tower bells and bolt tolls in their remembrance, let us give thanks to the Lord Jesus for their faithfulness. The white carnations are in honor of the saints we remember. A family member is encouraged to take a carnation after the service today. Uh, please look over the announcements and, and, men, and notes in the bulletin. A few items just to highlight. There is a Sunday school teachers meeting today after Sunday school in the social room. <clears throat> also in the social room, we still have some miscellaneous items in, um, for that the trustees found in some of our storage closets. Please have a look at those. And if those are interest to you, please take those. Please rise for the uh, call to worship. <clears throat> The Lord Jesus calls us to worship him today is the same Jesus who refused the temptation to worship the evil one. Gather then, receive the glorious kingdoms of this world. He endured the shame of the cross and today is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Now are gathered in him all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, glory and power with the saints all ages. We say worthy is the lamb who was slain. To receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Now let us sing the Revelation Psalm printed in the bulletin.
seated. As you heard in the welcome this morning, uh, today is a special day. Uh, November 1st is recognized in the church around the world as All Saints Day, a day that we remember and honor those who have gone before us and live faithfully here in this earth and who are now at rest with our Lord. Um, So we want to extend a special welcome to those of you who are here, who have family members who have passed away this past year. Um, and that we are going to be honoring this morning. In Revelation it reads, I looked and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white, with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. We give thanks for these brothers and sisters in Christ to whom God has granted rest from their labors. Wallace E. Hirschfeld. Marvin W. Cook. Reverend Robert H. Upperman. Reverend Richard Lammers. James Niemeyer. Addis L. Ketterheinrich. Edith S. Maurer. Frida F. Cook. And Lee C. Cotman. We know that many others have passed away that you know, whether family or friends, and we honor them as well today too. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks. For these, your servants, whom we remember today, 
Grant us grace to follow them as they followed Christ. Bring us with them to those things no eye has seen nor ear heard, which you have prepared for those who love you. Give us faith to look beyond the touch and sight and seeing that we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, witnesses, enable us to run with perseverance the race that is before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Bring us at last to, the, to your eternal peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's praise God and thank him for lives well lived in his name. This time I invite the children to come forward uh, for children's chat. And at that, while they're coming forward, I invite you to stand and greet those around you and for the peace of Christ. One moment, please. <laughs> All right. Technical difficulties. All right. How are you guys this morning? Good. I'm so excited you guys are all here with us this morning. Well, I brought with me a few books this morning. Okay. Let's see. Anybody ever seen this book before? Where do we see this book? Where's this book at? In the pews, what is it? The Holy Bible. Look, it's a Bible. Okay, now let's look at this one. What is this book? It's the Bible. This was Brian's catechism Bible. It's shown lots of wear, so we have to be careful with it. But it's a Bible. Does it look like this Bible? No. Okay, now hold on. Look. What do I have here? A Bible. Does it look like the other Bibles? No. What about this Bible? Ever seen a Bible that looks like this before? I hope you have. Because all of you, if you're in first grade or older, should have got, received a Bible similar to this. So what do we do with this? Where do you keep this at? You keep it at home? Where's it at at home, Kobe? On your dresser? Does it stay on your dresser all the time? Good answer. What do you do with this book? What do you do with this book? You read it. All right. So, we have the Bible. And scripture is given to us by God. Okay? And it says here that 
in Second Timothy, it says all scripture is given by God and is useful for teaching, for showing people what is wrong in their lives, for correcting faults and for teaching how to live right. Using the scriptures, the person who serves God will be capable of having all that is needed to do every good work. Okay, so the Bible is full of important things that we can learn. It gives us suggestions on how to live. Not really suggestions, it tells us how we're supposed to live. But if this Bible sits on a shelf or sits on your nightstand, or stays in your Sunday school bag, is it doing what it's supposed to be doing? No, it's not. No, because what do we ha- if this book is going to be useful, what do we need to do? We need to open it up. We need to read it. Yeah, we need to open it up and we need to read it. Now, some of you can't read yet, and I get that. But there are, you have little kid Bibles, and mommy and daddy can read it to you, okay? You just can't read yet? We'll work on that, okay? But does mommy and daddy read you stories? Yeah. Okay. So my point today is we all have a Bible, but what are you doing with yours? Is it just collecting dust somewhere? Is it sitting in your Sunday school bag so you have it to bring to Sunday school every Sunday? Or are you using it? Okay, because this is the most awesome book there is. And we can learn so much from it. So if we don't open it up and we don't use it, we're missing out on so much. Okay, so go home, locate your Bible, and open it up. Okay, all right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you for today. Thank you for these young minds eager to learn, wanting to know more and more. Thank you for God's word in the Bible and providing for us the opportunity to learn about you through the Bible and how we are supposed to live. Be with us this week as we go out. Help us to be your hands and feet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great week, guys. Keep in mind the family of friends of soldiers who were killed this week in Afghanistan, in the northern province of Kunduz. Sergeant First Class Ryan A. Gloyer, 34, from Greenville, Pennsylvania. Captain Andrew D. Byers, 30, from Rollsville, North Carolina. And also to keep in mind that not only folks killed in combat and across the world, but this week we also lost two soldiers in training exercises. One, Sergeant Renardo Deshaun Dukes, 26, from Pachuta, Mississippi, was killed in a training exercise in Oahu in Hawaii. Staff Sergeant David Witcher, 30, from New Hampshire, was killed in a training exercise off Key West, Florida. In addition, Iraqi Special Forces this week entered the main city of Mosul itself. We're going to see weeks of street-to-street fighting 
It is a city containing somewhere between 600,000 and 1 million civilians, often many who are used as hostages and human shields in the battle to recapture Mosul. Thank you, Jay, for that solemn reminder of, of those who are fighting for our freedom and on our behalf in, in those places. Uh, there's several other uh, things I'd like to bring you to your attention before we go to the Lord for, for prayer. Um, we had two other uh, deaths to report and to share with you this morning. Uh, Dorothy Kotman, our sister in Christ, passed away yesterday um, at the Elmwood Nursing Home in New Bremen. Uh, she is have the the visitation for her funeral will be Tuesday night at Miller's and St. Mary's from 2 to 4 and 6 to 8. And the funeral will be here at First Church on Wednesday, November 9th um, at 11 a.m. with, with uh, the meal to follow. Um, also remember in your prayers uh, a young, young girl named Anna and her family. Um, two-year-old uh, passed away this week of cancer. And so please be praying for her and her family um, this day and this week. Uh, today, this week, excuse me, is also Veterans Day. Uh, it's a day that we not only remember, uh, you know, we remember, we remember those who, who died serving in our armed forces, but there's also many, many, many who, who sacrificed in other ways and who are still here with us today. Um, so I'd like to take a moment and recognize those in our own congregation in this community who have served in the armed forces uh, and who are now uh, here with us. So if you are able, I encourage you to please stand. We'd like to recognize you this morning and thank you for your service. We thank you very much uh, for your time served uh, and for the many wounds, whether physical or emotional, that you continue to carry with you. We will also lift you up in prayer as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this, this time. Father, we are reminded this morning of, of the seriousness of life and, and those that we've lost um, over this past year. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would comfort us as we remember our loved ones. I pray that you would help us to mourn and grieve, but also look to you for that peace and comfort that can come only from you. Lord, your word teaches us that we mourn not as those who have no hope, but, Lord, who have hope in you and hope that, that death does not have the final say because you conquered death by your death and your resurrection. On the, and we are so grateful for that, Lord, that we have that hope that one day that that those who die in Christ will be raised again and be united together in worshiping you for all eternity, for the good and the, the wonderful things that you've done for us. But Lord, that doesn't take away the pain and the suffering that we, that we experience now as we remember our lost loved ones, especially those who, who pass away before their time or who, as we perceive their time to be. I pray that you would comfort us, guide us, help us to, to look to you for the strength that we need. And to remember our loved ones well, Lord. And I pray that even more so, even beyond that, that they would be an inspiration to us to live better lives now. Live lives that honor their memory and even more so honor you. Lord, we also lift up those uh, who served in our armed forces, um, who have given up so much on our behalf. Um, we are so grateful for their sacrifice. Um, and Lord, we, we recognize that they carry with them... Um, 
Lord, injuries, both physical and, and emotional, from, from their time in war. We do not want to sensationalize, Lord, war. It is a terrible and, and very difficult thing. And so, Lord, we thank you that they, are, they have served and protected us in that way. And we are grateful for them, and we thank you for their service. We pray all these things in the name of Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you. I invite those who are helping with the offering this morning to come forward. Our offering this morning will go uh, to support the General Fund of First Church. Um, And glad to have the choir back with us this morning to share some music.
The scripture reading this morning is from Philippians 3, verses 15 through 21. All of us, then, who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that, too, God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For I as For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. Thank you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this time to to gather together, to worship you. And I pray now that you would uh, enable me to speak forth the message from your word. I pray that it would be words that you would desire uh, for us to hear this morning. And I pray that you'd open up all of our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us. It's in Christ we pray. Amen. Last week I uh, spoke from the first half of this chapter, Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14, and I, I, I spoke about, uh, excuse me, Paul spoke about in this passage, uh, this issue of, of our good works and how we often fall into the trap and think that our, somehow our good works, the things that we do in this life can, can earn our place with God, can earn our salvation with Him. Uh, there was a reason for that, you know, the, the early church dealt with these Judaizers, these people that tried to get new converts to Christianity to, to follow all the laws of Moses, including circumcision and the food laws and all those things, to, in order to follow Christ. They said in order to be a Christian, you need to, in essence, become a Jew first and follow these laws. And Paul, Paul said, if anybody has a reason to boast, if anybody can claim to have earned their salvation, it was him. Because he was, you know, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He had been born in Israel. He had been raised and followed the teachings of the Pharisees. He was uh, so zealous for God and for what he thought was the truth that he was even persecuting the early church. And he said, look, if anybody had earned their place with God, it was me. But he said, I consider all those things garbage. I consider them nothing compared to knowing Christ. Not having a righteousness of my own, but of the righteousness that comes by faith in him and being found in him. And so he sets up this idea that, that our, our, our salvation is not our own doing, right? And we've touched on this before. It's, it's simply the gracious gift of God through what Christ has already done for us. And so he considers it all a loss. He considers it, excuse me, considers all of his good works, all those things a loss for the sake of knowing Christ. And this can set up a, a misunderstanding. And, and so this passage that we're going to look at today, Paul, Paul addresses the issue that comes with falling too far to the other end of the spectrum. You know, we can either, we can sometimes err in one of two ways. Err that we think that we have to earn our place in God's family, that we have to do all of the right things and say all the right things and look a certain way and act a certain way in order for God to love us. And so we, we base our lives and try to earn our way into God's family. Well, that's an error on one side of the spectrum. And the error, the other side that Paul is going to address in this passage is that because of what Christ has done for us, then our behavior doesn't matter at all. That it doesn't matter how we live or what we do or those sorts of things. That because Christ died for me, I can just do whatever I want 
And God will just, you know, honor that in our lives. And so Paul's addressing the other end of the spectrum here in this passage. And the connecting verses uh, are verses 12 through 14, which were technically part of our, our passage for last week. But I just want to re, reread them for you so that uh, we, can, we can kind of pick up from there. And so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to follow along um, and, and pick up in chapter 3, beginning at verse 12. He said, this is Paul speaking, he says, not that I have already obtained all this, right, this, this perfection in a sense, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And so Paul, you know, in a sense, he corrects any misunderstanding that he has somehow arrived at a at a point and no longer needs to worry about his life or how he's living. You know, Paul's own spiritual journey was incomplete. In a sense, ours is as well. You know, I think if we're drawing breath, you know, if you're alive today, God still has a plan for you. God still has a purpose for you. And, and, and God has still work to do in your life. None of us are perfect. And I can be the first one to raise my hand and say that that is true in my own life. Right? None of us are perfect. And so we still have a ways to go. Right? God is still working by his spirit in our lives. And so none of us can say that we've arrived, that there's nothing, no work left to be done. And considering everything a loss does not mean that we shouldn't strive to live in such a way that we honor Christ. Right? Paul talks about continuing to press on toward that goal. Right, that goal of being in Christ and, and having our lives reflect His glory. Having our lives be an image, be a, a reflection of what Christ has done in His life. You know, that's the goal. The goal is to be in Christ and be like Him. And none of us are there, but Paul continues to strive towards that. It's a response to and not the cause of our salvation in Christ. Let me say that again. Paul's desire to press on and to continue to live a life that honors Christ isn't in order to earn a salvation. But it's a response to the salvation that he's already received from Christ. It's a response to what Christ has done for him. I said last week that faith follow, faith precedes obedience. Right? Faith comes first. Our salvation comes first, and out of that we learn to be obedient to Christ. It's not obedience that leads to faith, it's faith that leads to obedience. And so Paul says, just because I've put my faith in Christ, just because I've put my trust in Him, doesn't mean I stop pressing on towards that goal. I keep keep striving toward that. And and, and he says, we, we don't want to look back. Looking back will only slow our forward progress. And he's not saying looking back in terms of, um, our sins and, and the kind of life we lived before Christ. I think he's referring to looking back at those things that we've done that somehow are, in a sense, the good works that we've done. You know, we took a Bible study 10 years ago and we keep relying back to that one Bible study we did 10 years ago and think that that's enough spiritual food to sustain us. No, Christ wants us to continue to strive and continue to grow in Him. We don't want to keep looking back and, and relying on those things that we've done in the past. Because we're all a work in progress. We all have a ways to go, and so we need to keep striving towards that goal. I played football when I was in high school. Um, I know football is a big thing right now. I know the high schools are in, in the playoffs, and I know New Knoxville has been undefeated since 1924. I hear that, right? Um, 
But I played football and basketball, and in my senior year, actually my junior year, we made it all the way to sectional championships. It was the first time, um, no, actually I think it was the second time our, our school had ever been there, and we, and we lost. So there was this, you know, bitter taste of defeat. My senior year, we made it back again, um, and we got to play a game at Ralph, it was Ralph Wilson Stadium at the time. It was the field that the Buffalo Bills play at. That's where the sectional championships are held for Western New York. And it was a close game. It was we were playing the team that we had lost to earlier in the season, the only loss that we had. And so, you know, it was a very close game, and it was tied nothing-nothing in the second quarter. And I don't play defense. I was an offensive lineman. And so the defense is on the field, and, and Olean was the, was the school we were playing, and they were driving on us. They were in their end of the field, probably about the 25-yard line, and their quarterback drops back to pass, and he gets sacked. As he's, as he's about to pass the ball, he gets hit. Ball comes loose. And my best friend was a defensive lineman. Um, I have no idea if he's going to listen to this, but I'm <laughs> going to bring up a bad memory for him. He scoops up this ball, right, at Ralph Wilson Stadium. You see him on the jumbotron, you know, running down the field, and he's got this clear path to the end zone, right, this big momentous moment in this game where, where the tides are turning. You can All of a sudden our sideline is just cheering and cheering, and, and he's running. And as he's running down the field, he keeps looking back over his shoulder. Like every two steps, he's looking back. And he's looking back, and you could see every time he looks back that Olean, the guys that were chasing him, were gaining a little bit more, a little bit more. And I kid you not, he ran about 75 yards. The only problem is he needed to go 77 to get in the end zone. He got tackled on the two-yard line, um, had a chance to score a touchdown at Ralph Wilson Stadium and missed it. Thankfully, our team ended up scoring the next play, but I, you know, we give him, we give him trouble for that even to this day that he got tackled on the two-yard line, right? But the issue was he kept looking back over his shoulder. He was worried about what was behind him instead of just worrying about what was in front of him. If he would have just put his head forward, kept his head straight ahead and, and run, he would have scored the touchdown. But instead he kept looking back. He kept looking back over and over again. And it slowed him down. It slowed his progress. And the same thing is what happens to us in our journey with Christ. We often look back and say, oh, I don't need to study the Bible. I did that last week. I don't really need to go to church. I was there a couple weeks ago. You know, like we, we think that we've done enough. We keep looking back at our past accomplishments and saying that's good enough. And, and in doing that, we're just slowing our forward progress. We're slowing our maturity in Christ. And so in this passage that we're looking at today, beginning with verse 15, uh, Paul talks about wanting to strive forward and, and live out that maturity that we have in Christ. He says, all of you who are mature should take a view, such a view of things. The word mature here is sometimes translated perfect. It's, a, it's sometimes in, in some of the older translations maybe. And it can be a misnomer. We can get confused by that. The word doesn't mean sinless or never making a mistake. The idea is more complete. You know, having, I think mature is a much better word for it than perfect. Um, it's a maturity that seeks further maturity. It's mature. It's the fact that mature people realize that they aren't perfect. Right? I've heard uh, wise people are wise because they realize how much they don't know. Right? <laughs> Same thing with mature people. They realize that they are not there yet. Maturity, in this sense, means recognizing that we still have a way to go. And Paul says that God will make it clear to those uh, in the church Paul had a confidence in the truth of his opinion. Paul had a, understood that what he was speaking was, was the truth and that, that he didn't have to make the argument and make the case for him, but that God would make it clear to them as they grew in Christ and grew in their relationship 
with Him. And he says here, in a sense, that we need to live in our own level of maturity. He says, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. The reality is we're all at different points in our spiritual journey. Right? None of us are at the same point in our lives. We all have gone through different things. God has, has taught us different things and helped us through different things. And so to think that we're all in the same level would be absurd. Right? We all are at a different point in this journey. Right? When a baby is born, it doesn't just come out walking. Right? Babies don't eat steak when they're a month old. Right? They, they have to learn to, to grow and mature, and eventually they'll get to that point. You know, we're at a fun time in our lives with Josephine right now, right? She's, she's two, and, and Allie and I would like nothing more than her to just be potty trained right now, right? You've all been there before, I'm sure. That would be fantastic, but we have to realize that it's a progress, right? There will be a day where Joseph, we no longer have to change her diapers, right? Um, it just may not be as soon as we want it to be, right? But we have to allow her to grow and mature at her pace, and we need to do what we can to help her along. But to assume that just because she's two, we don't want to change diapers anymore, that she'll suddenly be potty trained would be crazy. Um, the same is true with our walk with Christ. We need to recognize that, that we're each um, at different points. And we need to be responsible for the, the light that we've been given, in a sense. We need to be responsible for the maturity that we have and live out of that. And so as we mature in Christ, God will make certain things clear to us. And, and at that point, we will then be expected to live up to that. Not, again, not to earn our salvation, but to live out of it. And there's ways that, that Paul, there's two things that Paul says here that will help us along that path. The first is to follow his example. And we've already touched on this in previous weeks, but he brings it up again here even more clearly as a reminder that, that it's important for us to have people like Paul that we can look up to in our lives, people who are spiritually mature, people that we can look up to and say, I kind of want to be like that and to strive towards that, to learn from them. It's so important to have people like that in our lives. Today is All Saints Day. We've already touched on, on that fact, but it's a, All Saints Day is a reminder of those who have gone before us, who have lived faithfully. And to honor them would to be to imitate their lives. To serve Christ as they serve Christ. To live faithfully as they lived faithfully. And to learn from them in a positive way. And to learn from their mistakes too. Because none of us are perfect. We can learn from that and grow from that. We need to have people that we can look up to. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, right, imitate me as I imitate Christ. It's not about following Paul. It's not about following me, Pastor Joel. It's about following Christ. And what we can do to set that example for you. A few weeks ago, there was a, um, a passage or a story I wanted to read for you, and I ran out of time, surprisingly. Um, and so I want to share with you today. It's about how we can, it's, we need not only to know people in our own lives and our own community who follow Christ, but we can also learn from the example of, of Christians in other parts of the world who face very different experiences that we do, what it means to stand strong for Christ and to live faithfully. Um, some of you maybe heard, have heard this story, uh, but it's a story of Medid uh, Debaj, um, who was a, a Christian in Iran. In 1984, he was arrested and, and imprisoned by the government for charges of apostasy since he had 
converted from Islam to Christianity. The penalty of this crime, according to the Islamic law that ruled Iran, was death. Mahdi languished in prison for 10 years before his case came to trial. And when it did, his written statement of defense was a simple and straightforward reaffirmation of commitment to Jesus Christ. The last few lines of that defense contain this remarkable paragraph. Jesus Christ is our Savior, and he is the Son of God. To know him means to know eternal life. I, a useless sinner, have believed in his beloved person and all his words and miracles recorded in the gospel, and I have committed my life into his hands. Life for me is an opportunity to serve him, and death is a better opportunity to be with Christ. Therefore, I am not only satisfied to be in prison for the honor of his holy name, but I'm ready to give my life for the sake of Jesus Christ, my Lord. On December 12, 1993, the court before whom the defense was made sentenced Mady to execution. Then, under intense pressure from people in the West who knew of the case, including the U.S. State Department, the Iranian government arranged Mady's release in January 1994. Seven months later, he was found dead under suspicious circumstances in a Tehran park the third Christian murdered in Iran after his release from prison. You know, hearing that just reminds me that we need to stand strong in our faith. We are blessed to live in a country where we don't have to face things like that, face the same kind of persecution and trouble that other Christians do around the world. But hearing his story, hearing what he went through, and the boldness to stand in front of that court and to profess faith in Christ, knowing full well what it meant, is an inspiration. That's someone that we can look up to. That's someone that, you know, in our lives we can say, I want that kind of boldness. I want that kind of faith. And it's the kind of faith, it's the kind of boldness that Christ himself showed when he, when he sacrificed himself on the cross on our behalf. And so it's important for us to have people like Paul, people like Mady, we can look up to and strive to be like. I already talked, the reason why Paul continues on in this discussion is because there's errors at the other end of the spectrum, right? There was the issue of trying to earn our salvation, but then there's also this group that was very prominent in the early church as well that, that tried to say, well, since we don't need to earn our salvation, it doesn't matter what we do whatsoever, right? And Paul addresses this error in verses 18 and 19. He talks about enemies of the cross of Christ whose stomach is their God and whose glory is their shame. So instead of teaching a strict adherence to the moral code, These false teachers taught that there was no need to follow the moral code at all. Since Christ died for all our sins, we can do whatever we want, right? The price has already been paid. And it was a common belief at that time, not just in the early church, but in other religions as well, that those who had arrived spiritually no longer needed to concern themselves with the things, the physical things of this world. Therefore, they could gratify their sinful desires without any effect or any consequence in their spiritual lives. And Paul addresses this concern elsewhere in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? In other words, should we just keep sinning so that that because Christ has forgiven us past, present, and future sins, we can just do whatever we want? Paul emphatically says, by no means. But we need to remember that there's something more to life than just what we experience day to day. And that is being found in Christ and being a part of his family. Paul puts it here. It's about being reminded that our citizenship is in heaven. To combat this error, Paul encouraged two things. First, to follow his example, which we already talked about. But second, to live as citizens of heaven. Being citizens of heaven is in direct contrast to having our sights set on earthly things. 
We can get so distracted and so caught up in our sinful desires and, and what we want out of this life that we can lose focus and not keep our eyes on Christ. Instead, Paul encourages us to be, reminds us that our citizenship is in heaven. It's a reminder that this world, with its brokenness, hardship, and pain, is not our ultimate home. 1 Peter 2, verses 11 and 12 says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. We're foreigners. We're strangers in this world. If we follow Christ, we're, we're putting ourselves in a minority, in a sense. Right? The, the culture, the, the world that we live in is oftentimes opposed to the things of God and the things of Christ. And so to live as citizens of heaven is to recognize that sometimes our lives will be in contrast with the lives of those around us who don't follow the Lord. Our values, our lives, our decisions are going to run counterculture at times. And our mission, what God has put on our hearts and our minds, is to be a light in the darkness so that others may see us, may see that light and come to know Christ. If our lives look no different than the rest of the world, what impact are we really making for the kingdom of God? If our lives just look like everyone else, if our lives don't look any different, what difference is Christ really making? And what impact are we having for his kingdom? Being united with Christ does not mean we have arrived spiritually, nor does it mean our spirituality is somehow divorced from our behavior. The gospel reveals a pattern of behavior for us to follow while we wait for his redemption. It combats the spiritual but not religious movement in this world. Right? It's important to recognize that we have to put our faith in Christ and what that means. It's not simply just an intellectual belief. Faith is an act of trust that leads to obedience. It's putting your beliefs in action. And it's faith in Christ because it's recognizing that the Jesus of the Bible, that Jesus has revealed in Scripture, is the Lord of our lives and the one to whom we are submitting. You know, since the Mosaic Covenant is no longer valid to earn our salvation, that doesn't subject us to moral ambiguity or fuzzy ethical guidelines. We have the pattern of Jesus' life to follow. Jesus is revealed to us through Scripture, and we have that pattern to follow. It's not working for our, it's not working for our salvation, but working our, out our salvation with fear and trembling, living out the implication of Christ's intervention in our lives. Salvation is from Christ alone, not our good works, but, but we respond to what he's provided for us by living it out in our lives. That's what it means to be citizens of heaven here in this world means that we're, our allegiance, our ultimate allegiance is, is not to the culture, not to the society, but to Christ and his kingdom. And I think this is a timely message for us. And in closing, I just want to make, make this side comment. Uh, we all know what's happening on Tuesday, right? And I'm sure you are all thrilled to wait for those political ads to be done, right? <laughs> this passage reminds us that our citizenship is in heaven. It's a reminder that as citizens of heaven, our Savior is not a donkey or an elephant, but a lamb. That no matter the outcome of this election, Jesus will still be King of kings and Lord of lords. And nothing will ever remove him from that throne. You may not feel good about any of the choices on the ballot. And you may not agree with 
the outcome on Wednesday morning, but we need to remain faithful to our Lord amidst this difficult political season. And so with that being said, get out and vote. Vote your conscience. Vote for the candidate that you think best represents the teachings of Christ and the values of the kingdom of God. That may not be an easy choice. But do the best you can. John Wesley, a famous Christian evangelist and preacher from the 1700s, said this in his journal one day. I met those of our society who had votes for the ensuing election and advised them, one, to vote without fear reward for the person they judged most worthy. Two, to speak no evil of that person they voted against. And three, to take care that their spirits were not sharpened against those that voted on the other side. I think that's a very important reminder for the way that this political season and this election has gone to not hold ill will towards each other. That we may vote differently, we may have different opinions on on the outcome of this election, but we can't hold that against each other and allow that to divide this church or this community or this country. Let's decide to live with our eyes focused on the King of Kings and work together for His kingdom no matter what happens. Because it doesn't matter whether we're Republican or Democrat or Independent. What matters is that we are citizens of heaven and His kingdom. And if we keep our focus on that, we'll be able to work with whatever outcome we find out on Tuesday. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for the opportunity to know and to serve You. And thank You, Lord, for this reminder that our citizenship is in heaven. And what that means for us. One, it means that we don't earn our salvation by the good works that we do, but it also... Lord, reminds us that, that because you have offered that to us freely, it doesn't just give us a license to live however we want, but that you still desire for us to live out that salvation in our lives to the extent of the maturity that you have given and granted to each one of us. Help us to continue to grow. Help us to keep our eyes focused on you and not on what lies behind. And hold confidently to the hope that you will always be King of King and Lord of Lords. In Christ we pray. Amen. As we prepare our hearts for the mind supper, our, prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper, uh, let's sing uh, the first verse of "Crown Him with Many Crowns," number two thirty-four. The first verse. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and prepare our hearts and minds for the table. Father, we are so grateful that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. We come here this day to crown you, Lord, with many crowns. Recognize that in the, this political season and this, uh, this election coming up, and just in, in our lives, Lord, we need to recognize that. 
But thank you for that reminder this morning that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. And Lord, you, you accomplished that not by political power, not by might, but by your death on the cross. When Satan tempted you in the wilderness, you did not give in to that temptation, but you submitted to the will of your Father. And Lord, it is through your death on the cross, through your resurrection, through what you've done for us, that you are now seated at the right hand of God. And Lord, that is what we recognize here, the, the sacrifice that you made for us. And Lord, what, what you did for us is you took our sins. You took all of the things that we have done wrong, past, present, and future, and you took them upon yourself. You took the punishment that we deserve so that we might receive the righteousness that you earned. What a great exchange. What a great transfer. And we are so grateful for that. Lord, you, had, you desire for us now to, to be honest with you about the ways that we've fallen short. Lord, we continue to sin. We are not perfect. We have not arrived. And so in this moment, in the silence of our heart and in the silence of our minds, we confess how we have fallen short and the things that we've done, both in our thoughts, words, and deeds, that have fallen short of your glory. For we have this great promise that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. For I have received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. After giving thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. Whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So all you who have received Jesus as your Lord and Messiah, take this holy sacrament to your comfort.
the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is broken for you and for all. Feed on him now in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving.
the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you and for all, for, for the forgiveness of sins, a new covenant that was made in his blood. Take and drink, knowing that he died for you. Lord, we are grateful and thankful for the sacrifice that you made for us. And that through that you are now King of kings and Lord of lords. And that you grant each one of us entrance into your kingdom, not by our own works, but by the work of your Son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we, we ask that you would empower us now to live lives that are honoring of you. I pray that, our, that you would help us to grow in spiritual maturity. And that you would be with us as we go from this place. In Christ we pray. Amen. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Thank you.